We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Hello and welcome into another 3 Mod Pod. I am John Kurtz. I am joined by Derek Young of K-State Online and Cole Manbeck, former beat writer, for the Manhattan Mercury and my travel partner this past weekend down to Arlington, Texas, where K-State won the freaking Big 12 championship, 31-28 to in overtime. Ty Zentner, game-winning field goal, as thrilling as it gets. We've now had some time to digest it a little bit after Cole and I gave you a very, um, I, I don't know, I would say in some ways, but I felt meek. You know, I was tired. I was I was exhausted. I was in a hotel ballroom that we broke into and probably shouldn't have. Uh, we were running on hotel Wi-Fi and just totally running on fumes. So now, you know, I had a chance to drive back, take in some of the game, get a little bit collected, and, and now here we all are. Plus, we've got Derek, who was uh, experiencing everything with the players after the game, and uh, so we'll get his insight here as well. Now, I know lots of alcohol was consumed this weekend. I can only imagine that you guys really got after the 360 vodka and the Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon, but continue to do so just – you know, you got a month here. Just drink straight through for a month to get ready for the Sugar Bowl. They, they like to do a lot of that in New Orleans. You're going to need to prepare your your liver uh, if you're if you're going to do okay down at Bourbon Street on the on New Year's. So uh, anyway, check out Holiday Distillery, Ben Holiday Bottle and Bond Bourbon, 360 Vodka. We appreciate their support as always. Great K State folks that support our pod. Dy, I feel like we have to start with you. Cole and I gave our instant reaction uh, in the glowing aftermath of all of this. You can see our literal instant reaction on my Twitter account with the video that I posted of Cole and I reacting, you know, with a nice close-up of Cole's face at the very end of said video, looking as intense as I've ever seen him. Um, D.Y., why don't, you, why don't you take us through your reaction, you know, up in the press box? You have to be uh, Mr. Stoic up there. What was what was your reaction to the Zentner field goal? Uh, probably, like, you know, trying a controlled amount of joy, I would say, because you are in the press box. And, and and that was probably the case for many of us media members. Obviously, we have to stay kind of even keeled and, and non-biased in, in our approach to this particular industry. But I think we all do have, a, you know, of course, a investment in Kansas State doing well and sometimes a cheering interest as well. Um, and I think that was probably the case for every media member. So a controlled amount of joy trying to keep it professional as possible. But that was, you know, when once they got to that field goal, and I don't know if you guys had this response at all either, because admittedly I haven't seen your live show yet because I've kind of been going from one thing to the next at this point of, of everything that has transpired. But 
once and it wasn't even because I saw Ty Zentner smiling and laughing, which is a perfect amount of crazy that you would expect from from him, knowing who he is um, through the last three or four years at Kansas State. But uh, I just there was zero concerns. I guess I, I was, I, and I know that probably sounds weird because of everything that was at stake in there. But I there was not a part of me that thought Ty Zentner was missing that field goal. Oh, same here. No, I I had no fear. I had no fear. I don't know about Cole, but I <laughs> I was once they. I mean, especially once they lined it up, I was like, man, this is like a thirty yarder. This guy's been amazing. It's just barely over an extra point. Like it's gonna be fine. I mean, I always get a little nervous with college kickers, even though Zentner's a total stud. But uh, I had my phone out recording the moment, so I wasn't too nervous. If I was overly nervous, I wouldn't have been watching or would have not had my phone out. So I, I was confident that Zentner would come through. And as soon as he kicked it and it wasn't blocked or anything, I knew he had it. So, uh, man, guy's a, guy's a total stud. He's just he's unbelievable. He's now put up 38 kicks on the year and 29 extra points and nine field goals, and all of them have went through the uprights. Uh, and, you know, in that game, uh, and we'll get back to DY here, but I did want to note, uh, because we didn't touch a ton on his punts in the uh, the live show immediately after the game, but uh, three punts down down inside the 10-yard line in the game for Zentner. And I think the biggest one, John, and you and I were a bit surprised by this, and DY, curious for your thoughts, but the the last punt of regulation – that Seth Porter makes a really nice over-the-shoulder catch on to pin them at the six-yard line. If that's a touchback, I think TCU tries to go and get a field goal. But by pinning him inside the six, yeah, putting him inside that 10-yard line down at the six uh, causes them to take a knee. Sonny Dykes decides to call a timeout. Then they decide to kneel it down. And with three timeouts and 38 seconds for that TCU offense, as explosive as they are, to get them to take a knee there was huge. And so that punt was was tremendous, and the play by Porter to get that ball down inside the ten was a big play. If you were going to ask a special teams coach, you know, this was my response and reaction to that as well. As good as Ty Zender was on the other punts, that one was probably not a very good punt because it took a miraculous play by Seth Porter that you can't necessarily expect a special teams guy to do. I mean, you're catching that over the shoulder; it's really tough to locate the ball when you're from that vantage point. You need a much more hang time there and much more of an opportunity, maybe even a bounce to make that play. Seth Porter probably deserves 99.9% of the credit for that one. That's, I mean, Ty Zender will probably tell you too, that's, you know, Seth Porter probably saved his butt a little bit on that one. That wasn't his his greatest kick of that game, probably not necessarily even that close. And, and I guess going back to the overtime period there, um, when Kansas State, after the, you know, the miraculous goal line stand, um, which I'm sure has been touched on, an inordinate amount, deservedly so at this point. I, I will say, like as, as confident as I was once Zinner, uh had that lined up beautifully right in the middle of the field, I, I guess to to kind of take it easy on my nerves a little bit, I was hoping for one of the first few plays just to, to kind of bust out and just be an easy touchdown. Um, I think that would have been a little bit less dramatic and nerve-wracking um, on all of us if it had unfolded that way. So I was hoping – I think Chris Cloudy did play it right. I mean, once he got the third down, and you're, I think you're like six and seven at that point, or you don't, you don't want to necessarily push the envelope too much and make a critical mistake in that juncture. So I think, I think he gave in on that drive at the right time and was pushing the right buttons before that too, because it looked like he was definitely trying to go in for a score if he could get one. So I did like that approach, and and he did even list out the hypothetical after the game and you know at TCU scored K-State had not gotten that goal line stand which you know I don't blame Sonny Dykes for going for it on fourth down there but 
Chris Kleiman said they were going to go for two and go for the win if, if TCU scored and, and then they responded with one of their own. Well, I really liked a lot of how he handled all of that and what we heard after. Now, I guess it's one thing to say we were going for two and another thing to do it in the moment, but I would certainly uh, take that at face value and believe it. But he, he said very emphatically, like, I wanted to get one first down. Like, we were definitely going to play for one first down, which I liked hearing that. It's not going to be just, hey, run it three times, and if it goes for three yards, and then we got to line up and kick this 40-yard field goal. Like, no, go go get yourself 10 yards, make it much more manageable. They did that, and then, yes, after that, once it got to, like, third down, I'm totally cool with just – Get your kicker as comfortable as possible. Uh, what they call that, like the Wisconsin play, to go move the ball over and then just sit on it. Um, run that out there the way Zender's been kicking. Um, I, there was no reason to have any outs uh, of lack of confidence for the guy to, to go knock that through. And, uh, hey, I, I was feeling, and I told Cole in the moment, I, I was like, the only way they're winning this game is if they score and go for two. Uh, so I'm glad Kleiman felt that at least also. Because, I mean, some of our criticisms about him over the years have been like not being aggressive enough in those types of situations. Like thinking back to that first year, not coaching aggressively enough down three possessions in Stillwater, you know, things like that. It seems like he's, he's come around to that now and and maybe some of it too with a team that he felt really confident in, believed in his guys. And I just, I think those are signs of growth uh, from climbing as a coach actually in game. I would agree. Cause I think if I was still to come up with maybe a weakness in this game that, popped up multiple times this year, or like in his approach. And, and you kind of got to think maybe is taking strides forward because of what happened late in the game is, is like the clock management late game, like how you're going to, you know, manage the time on the clock, the down and distance, you know, do I point to, you know, kick field goal, go for it here. I think at least, uh, at least at one point that was probably where I think his weakest point as a head coach was because not every head coach not even the best head coaches were at a plus in every category that would be the category where i probably draw the most criticism for him and even in that department he has made strides yeah there have just been a lot of strides taken across the board obviously one of the biggest ones figuring out that he needed to make colin klein the offensive coordinator and now we see here what what he is i mean he's he's being hyped up and lauded as, as one of the best in the country literally just heard it on the, the solid verbal this morning before i popped on here with you guys um after the game what was speaking of coach Kleiman and, and company what what was the press conference like anything interesting anything of note coming out of those guys after the game you know nothing specific I mean it was probably more when we spoke to Chris Kleiman yesterday for the sugar bowl thing um you know a lot of euphoria <laughs> obviously I mean this was, uh, you know, the culmination of what, the, you know, the hype video that they put out, you know, from the, the Big 12 championship. And I think everyone probably has this observation to take away. But the most powerful moment of that video was them reflecting back to 2020 after the Iowa State game and showing that particular speech from Chris Kleiman after they just got their ass kicked 45 to nothing by Matt Campbell and company. Yes, it was the COVID year, but they got their butts handed to them. Um, that was the year where they kind of self reflected self-identified that they needed to take that culture to another level to another step in order to win the championships that they'd gotten to manhattan to do and just hearing in that speech you just lose by over six touchdowns and not score a point and in that speech you're talking about this is what we're going to do this is how it has to be done in order to win a big 12 championship um pinpoint accuracy like a specific goal he talked about the Big 12 championship 
in the middle of a tremendous losing streak in 2020 after getting their butts beat 45 by 45 points to you know nearby Iowa State and you know that just seeing that video and and Will Howard's right there you know in the front row kind of taking it all in number 15 not number 18 at that point still making the critical I mean that was his first year true freshman 18 year old making the mistakes that that kind of catapulted that losing streak and um exacerbated it but you know there's just something poetic about seeing that video and it being you know over two years ago that kind of loss and speaking about a big 12 championship in that moment and having will howard who basically kind of jump-started this little streak at the end to get to kind of get you there to win it i think is pretty poetic well it, it um <clears throat> not to the same extent or significance perhaps but it, it takes you back to bill snyder's opening statement of his opening press conference as kansas state's head coach when talks about it the greatest opportunity to <clears throat> to turn around a program exists here today and it's not one to be taken lightly and then he followed through on it obviously that was more significant than this because this program was the worst at america out of all the power fives but uh, to be that prophetic and also just to have video of that moment, to be taking video in that locker room after such a difficult loss and have that in the archives to go back to and what he spoke to. It, it, it's an incredible moment. And I'm sure most of you that are listening to this have seen that video, but if you haven't, you need to watch it. It's uh, it's amazing uh, emotional video to watch and uh, pretty darn special. So uh, Chris Kleiman helped change the culture, recognize there were culture issues at that point. And uh, from there, the program has really taken off. Yeah, and the video kind of illustrated also to just kind of the euphoria that we kind of saw in the in the post game press conference, especially from like Julius Brents and and Hayden Gillum. The euphoria and the joy. I mean, that video illustrated it. We saw it in the post game press conference too. So that would be another takeaway of mine. Um, and you know, Daniel Green being up there. I mean, that video you basically see, you know, grown men bawling. Um, because of what they had just accomplished. And one of those was defensive coordinator Joe Klanderman, Daniel Green, Felix Andy D.K. Uzama, Malik Knowles, Ty Zentner. Um, a lot of a raw emotion um, and tears spilled just because of the gravity of what they knew they just accomplished and where they started from is probably where that kind of is built upon. And that, that start definitely seems maybe like that locker room after the Iowa State game. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always look at that as – the, the lowest of low moment. Now, there were some low moments in 2020. I mean, Arkansas State was not good. Um, lots of drama and things happening off the field. You, you had the moment where all of a sudden, like 19 guys are transferring. But no, to me, it was definitely Iowa State. It was going and playing that game, losing the way that you did, just feeling like you were so far behind them as they went on to have their year where they made the Big 12 championship game. And uh, just felt like you were miles away having a clean house. And I'll be honest, I, I would not have expected at that point in time that within two years they'd be sitting here as Big 12 champions. I mean, it, it is truly remarkable that they made that much of a turnaround in the culture that quickly. But it started with a new strength coach. You know, I mean, I think Tremaine Carroll deserves a lot of credit here and what we're talking about in terms of setting the culture and helping create a much better environment. And not that it was poor before because of the strength coach, but getting younger uh, I think a more relatable, if we're being honest, strength coach to a lot of these players uh, really has helped out a lot. So that's another guy. I mean, there are so many guys that for you sure. can recognize for their for their roles here, but I think he's somebody, Jermaine Carroll, that deserves a lot of credit here. I would agree. Some of it's also just yeah, maybe younger, too, more relatable. But sometimes, sometimes all you need is a fresher face in the front of a room, too, 
um, with, you know, just a different approach. Sometimes you just, you know, things can get stale or, you know, whatever reason, and all you need is maybe a different voice. And sometimes it just resonates a little more because of that, just because of that freshness. I think that played into the Tremaine Carroll thing, but that's a great observation. Um, I think that deserves, I've, I've kind of written about it before. I think it was maybe this past off season, that culture breaking moment. Um, yes, it happened in the locker room, obviously after that Iowa state game and a speech that Chris climbing made, but I think the first real change he made after that season was hiring Tremaine Carroll. So the spark of the culture when it first was beginning to build in Chris Kleiman's vision, uh, I think the first step was hiring Tremaine Carroll and maybe not by accident. And I know Cole sent this picture and I, and from that video. And I also made that observation kind of in my head at the time. But, you know, Chris Kleiman jumps up and down when Ty Zinner makes that field goal. And the first thing he does is jump into the arms of Tremaine Carroll. Yeah, I was actually going to say that, D.Y. How fitting that the, the very first person that Chris Kleiman hugs and jumps into the arms of is Tremaine Carroll at the end of that game after the kick goes through. So, yeah, I, I think Tremaine Carroll was a huge hire for this program. They're bigger, they're stronger, and uh, it was also a culture change. And from a mental standpoint in that locker room, uh, a mentality change. And so that was a huge hire by Chris Kleiman. He recognized there was a problem, and as you've said before, D.Y., the guy that spends the most time with the players is the strength coach. Strength conditioning coach have them all in the offseason all the time. And you, you got to be able to respect that guy. And K-State's players certainly do. Is there any talk in the press conference about who's who's going to play and who's not in the bowl game? No, it was at the bowl game. Um, Sugar Bowl like press conference webinar thing that we have with Chris Kleiman and Nick Saban. Did you, did you ask Saban a question? Uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't even ask Chris Kleiman. I was, I couldn't think straight yesterday for the most part. But uh, well, I saw Kelly. Kelly said he he asked his first ever question to Nick Saban, like in a McDonald's parking lot on a hot spot in his car or something crazy. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's driving home from uh, Dallas, I believe, still at that point because uh, you know obviously it takes it takes a little bit to drive home. I had flown home for this particular trip, so I was already there. But no, I didn't ask Nick Saban a question. I think Kels asked him kind of about Kansas State, and, and Nick Saban basically said, uh, you know, we were recruiting. We, we thought we might be in a playoff. I, I haven't looked at, at at a second of Kansas State tape. That was basically his answer. So really? almost a non-answer at that point, which makes well, sense. I, I saw a quote where he says something about He's like, oh, you know, they've got two effective quarterbacks, a really good defense, and a really good running back. I mean, I saw he, I think that was at least a blueprint <laughs> in a way. Yeah, I think that was when he someone asked him and made him kind of expand a little bit more, and he and he gave that kind of vague interest. And at one point he said that coach too. So I was like, I don't know that Nick Saban knows anyone's name that might be associated with really, where's, was, where's, where's Ben Newman in this networking thing? You know, I mean, can't you can't you get him to he did say Chris at one point because okay. then he said, Well, I have a lot of respect for Coach Schneider, and Chris seems to have continued that. So. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Saban wouldn't know anything about K-State yet because he was too busy doing his car wash media tour uh, trying to campaign his yeah. way into the college football playoff for the 24 hours leading up to yesterday, So, uh, which was a joke. Fortunately, that did not work. And, but Chris, I mean, yeah, I guess kind of going where I was going on Sunday evening for that little webinar thing via Zoom um, did reveal that he, he they believe – and now they might have to miss a practice time between now and then, but they believe both Malik Knowles and Echo Boy Doe will both be available after being injured 
in the Big 12 title game against TCU. In terms of like opt-outs, because I know that's going to be probably a pretty big discussion point at this point, and, and this is probably maybe a little too early for me to, to say, because um, college athletics is a weird place at this moment, but I do not think that Kansas State will have any voluntarily, voluntary opt-outs from significant contributors. I mean, I think most people probably made that conclusion once you know Deuce Vaughn was on that uh, video taking questions from Reese Davis during the selection show. He was talking about playing in that game. He certainly approached that interview and, and talked as a guy that had every intention and was valuing the opportunity that the Sugar Bowl would provide him. Yeah, I mean, to me, I guess the, the question would be Felix, right? Because Felix is the one who's going to be a top 100 pick in all likelihood, uh, I would think, heading into the draft. And I know Cole, Cole mentioned this to me, like, well, chance to play against Bama is a chance to really up your, your draft stock. Uh, it definitely is. It also could be looked at if you're his agent as, like, hey, man, if you're already in the first couple of rounds, it's also a good way to uh, draft stock shoot down if, if all of a sudden you're not going to perform well against the type of – Offensive lineman that you're going to see at the next level. So I I, I don't know that. And, and he's and he's already banged up, so that could also contribute to it, right? So I, certainly, it would, you know, you see guys in his similar situation opt out quite a bit. Let's be honest, that that happens, especially he's banged up. Even if it, even if he has a, you know, an opportunity in front of him to increase his value, um, this is a he is in a spot that anymore, eighty percent of the guys do opt out. So I will not eliminate that that possibility. I will say the people that I've spoken to in the last 24 hours, um, I certainly don't get the impression that he's leaning that way. I'll say that. Yeah, he, <clears throat> We know he's been banged up all year, right? But now he's going to have four weeks to recover. And this would be an opportunity to really flash who he is, right, against Alabama because he's going to be probably as healthy as he's been all year and as explosive he's been in this Alabama game. So – I mean, I think there's a real opportunity for him to to have a great game, and I'll, I'll yeah. have to look. Uh, I'll have to look into the Alabama offensive line. Look, I know their starting left guard has already entered the transfer portal, who hadn't given up a sack all season, I believe, and so we'll see what else happens with that Alabama team and opt outs on that end. But uh, I think the cl the culture that Chris Kleiman's created. Look, ultimately, some of these guys are going to do what's best for them individually, but I think the culture they've created helps alleviate opt-outs from occurring. I, I would be a bit surprised if anyone impactful. I, see, I would, I, I just disagree with that. I don't think opting out or declaring early or transferring is a sign of a culture that isn't good. I don't think culture. Well, I'm not. I, I just I don't think, think culture, I, don't, I just don't think culture is connected to these decisions because they are individual ones where there's millions of dollars on the line and to play devil's advocate if you're Felix too. Yes, there is four weeks to maybe get healthier for the game. But you're also saying, or he could aggravate that injury even more and be even more banged up that it hurts your draft, that it makes you unable in in, to have a draft lead up in preparation, right? It could affect him working out for teams at that point. I mean, I think it, I, I think culture can play a part. I'm not saying like if you have an opt out on it, like if Chris Kleiman can't say it an opt out, I'm not saying like there's a culture problem in the program, but I, I do think it's just, it's more meaningful for K-State's players on this stage and obviously Alabama playing in the, in the sugar bowl. And I think the name opponent of Alabama will keep a lot of these guys engaged with the opportunity to play on that stage. Um, while it might be a little bit of the opposite for Alabama. So they see Kansas state's name and probably don't get as excited. Um, they have playoff aspirations, but for Kansas state, this is a huge opportunity and a big stage for them with it being a new year's six bowl and 
being the first time ever to play an Alabama football program on, on that stage. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I just don't like you, D.Y., to your point, I, I don't see anybody opting out. But yeah, I, at this point, I would be surprised. But yeah, see, you could say that Felix has you know more time to get healthy and be fresher for the game and, and maybe kind of have a liftoff point. Or you can say, what if, you know, you know, it's still a little bit there. He aggravates it and then it affects the way he can prepare for the NFL draft. I mean, that's that's something that they'll have to consider as well. There's all of these things multiple angles, but in terms of like the culture thing, I mean, maybe I'm not going to say 0% there, but I, I think a bowl game of this magnitude against an opponent of this magnitude for Kansas state, I think it helps them more along the lines of guys in the transfer portal rather than the guys along the lines with, uh, you know, potential NFL draft looming. Yeah. I mean, I would just say, it seems to me, if you have a good culture, there's, I, I, it stands to reason to me that there would be a better chance somebody would be, swayed by some of the positives that we're outlining here right i just think it's another pro in the pro column if you're making a pros and cons list of what you would do if you're around a team where you're kind of like eh, you know yeah, these guys are fine don't love them don't have this like intense brotherhood with them then maybe you're going to be more inclined to start pushing yourself to the other side and looking at those benefits and not getting hurt as opposed to being like oh you know i've been around for a long time we reached this this peak and now we're about to go play bama in the sugar bowl you know i love these guys i love this culture like maybe Maybe this I just want one last ride here since I'm not going to get it next year. Like I would imagine it could it could affect it a little bit. But. Love, yeah, love for teammates. I won't deny it. it. Just the other the other side of that is just you know a very powerful decision with you know all of us. You know we're in our jobs for a maximum amount of money too. So um, there is a twist and a pull and push there that I imagine is a pretty conflicting decision and, and a tough one that they'll all have to make on their own. And, and what, and that maybe Kurtz understands or knows about this more, but I also think, and I wonder if it plays a part, it probably is certainly will for, for the guys that are staying in school and, and either you have the opportunity anymore, basically you have the opportunity to stay at your specific school or go into the transfer portal. And I'm sure that's going to be a discussion point the next few weeks too, because the transfer portal window has already opened it opened today um, that I think many of the Kansas state players and look, I know this is kind of weird for maybe people that haven't delved into this area yet of NIL, but a lot of these guys have representation now because you can kind of have that with NIL and they kind of, you know, guide you on what to do and what not to do. I think many of the Kansas State players are actually represented by the Lockett family. Yeah, I mean, I know Aaron's Aaron's had a relationship with some guys. Felix, um, right? Felix. He, he definitely has. I think you're right. I think you are correct um, about Felix. I would have to double check on that. Um, but yeah, um, that maybe maybe that maybe that helps out. I mean, I, I wouldn't begrudge anybody. I certainly would not begrudge Felix if he if he decides to, uh, to not play, I totally understand what's on the line there, but, uh, you know, for a guy that was crying at the achievement of the big 12 championship, I think it's clear that all this does mean a lot to him. I'll be interested to see what that, what that winds up being. I do want to talk some unsung heroes here because Cole and I chatted about it, but I know DY, you have a little bit more insight probably on, you know, the Keenan Garber situation, for instance, before he gets thrown out there as a defensive back. Uh, so we'll get to that coming up next here on three bond. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, back on three mod, John Kurtz, Derek Young, Cole Manbeck with you here. Plenty of unsung heroes to come out of that Big 12 championship game. Keenan Garber, less than a month after transitioning from receiver to defensive back, gets thrown into the game with an Echo Boido injury in the first half. And we were sitting around in our seats literally asking each other, who is 35? Like, what, what is this? Who is 35? And having to figure that out and realizing that it was Keenan Garber, and then you're freaking out. Like, what is this? Just a, a backup receiver now playing it. in the Big 12 championship gaming. It's number three TCU with Quentin Johnson and all those dudes. Uh, it was very scary, but more than held his own. Um, I, we can start there because I want to I want to learn more about this. I think you've said this, D.Y., but I kind of just let it breeze right over my head and was like okay cool like keenan garber's working at backup defensive back hey one when will that affect anything i won't have to worry about that and until all of a sudden i did in the middle of a tight big 12 championship game so what, what was the genesis of this and how well did you feel like he played according to chris clyde and garber went to them about a month ago and said you know i'm not getting it done here at receiver it doesn't seem like there's much of a path i think i think he was just looking for a way to to help uh, maybe that shows maturity there, and, and maybe that's the culture again, kind of creeping up and, and making an impact. And, and they said, well, "Okay, let's try this. You know, be on the practice squad, work your butt off a corner, and give our receivers a, a big time look each week." Um, I don't know that, that this decision was made with any other thought beyond that. I don't think it was like, you know, what you're going to play in the Big Twelve Championship game at quarterback in a month. So get your butt ready. No, I think it was like make it tough on our receivers, you know, show your, you know, selflessness, be unselfish. And then we'll, then if you do that well, then we'll readdress maybe your path to playing time in the off season and find you a good spot. Instead, Eka Boydo gets her Keenan Garber, I guess, you know, you throw him on the other side of the ball and it starts to really click pretty quickly to the point where, I mean, if we're being honest, and this is not to cut down these other guys, but they seem more inclined to be comfortable with Keenan Garber on Saturday at cornerback than Jordan Wright and Omar Daniels. Um, but oh, now Jordan, Jordan Wright was playing special teams, so he certainly headed in the right direction as well, I would imagine. Um, I remember he picked Kansas State or Florida State, West Virginia. That guy was a, a you know a pretty clear power five battle at the time in this past offseason. And then Omar Daniels did play some quarterback as well. They played them both because uh, Julius Brents lost his helmet, and then they went to Omar Daniels, I think, at one point. But Keenan Garber, uh, not a liability. 
played pretty well. I think we got to get him a new number. 35 is pretty ugly for a corner. But, um, I mean, he can't, can't say, you know, enough good things about, about that. His unselfishness to do what he did and then to even invest himself enough in it to give himself this opportunity when it, when push came to shove. Like, they could have just went Omar Daniels and Jordan Wright. But clearly, Kenny Garber made this move, and he was very invested in it and embraced it. And, you know, one of the more underdog, weird, unexpected stories that I think I've covered, essentially, in, in my career, a guy that was playing offense four weeks ago is now a corner in the Big 12 championship game and making clear contributions. Um, it's pretty stunning. says a lot about him. Also interesting, you know, it, it, obviously it's because Echo Boydo went down. Jacob Parrish was playing a little bit of safety because they're so thin there as well, and he's a true freshman. VJ Payne leads the defense and snaps as a true freshman safety because of all the guys that they are missing. Um, so you go – you lose a Lawrence guy and Echo Boydo, Lawrence High. And where do you go? Well, let's go with the free state kid in Kenny Garber. So uh, twist the knife a little bit on KU a little bit more, I guess, because it's Echo Boydo and Kenan Garber um, in their backyard doing that for the Wildcats. Well, a couple oh, – oh, oh, you, oh, you were about to you were about to jump in and defend the honor of Dyshod Carter, weren't you? Nice, uh, one of my favorite corners, Dyshod Carter. See, John I and I are – I was John, like, man, 35, good old Dyshod Carter back in the day. Yeah, one of, one of K-State's better corners. Um, had the, the pass breakup against Nebraska in the snow game in 2000, right, too? So, yeah, can, EY, obviously, wouldn't blame you that you didn't know that. but uh, He can get number one back after this year. Josh Hayes will relinquish <laughs> it when he graduates, and Keenan Garber can be number one on defense again. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, a couple, a couple things that you brought up DY. I mean, obviously Keenan Garber was in Chris Kleiman's first recruiting class and never looked like he was going to see the field and just kudos to him for not giving up, not entering the transfer portal, which I, I said on the live show afterwards, I, I just expected Keenan Garber to enter the portal at some point because it clearly wasn't clicking at receiver, but to go to the coaching staff, ask to move positions and do it all in a month and pick up the scheme to where he can go in the game in the biggest game of the Chris Kleiman era in four years and play effectively is uh, is something I don't think I've ever seen before. It, it's just astounding uh, how well he played too. How many, do you know off the top of your head, DY approximately how many snaps he played Saturday? I felt like I saw nope. him out there a lot. Keep talking and I'll find it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was also like, I was looking at John during the game. He was also out there on <clears throat> special teams um for a lot of snaps as well on all the the return units etc um john can john can allude to this uh the julius brent's helmet coming off when case they got him in third and 15. i was losing I was my mind up, a little bit too yeah i was pretty upset i was pretty upset that uh case yeah. they did not call a timeout i was screaming call a timeout it was such a big play a big moment your best corner off the field with quentin johnson out there third and 15. but it, i think because I this part I I trust this other person that has, has rewatched the game. I guess Quentin Johnston wasn't on the field either, so TCU wasn't subbing because they wanted to keep Brent off the field. And K State was like, "Well, Quentin Johnston's not on the field, so we're not worried about it." Yeah, well, it uh, they ended realize. up getting. Yeah, I, di I didn't realize it either. They ended up getting him in a, a fourth and three because Duggan scrambled for twelve, and then but Brent still stayed on the sideline, and then they ran a, a QB draw with Duggan and got the first down, and I was. Just losing my mind that they didn't have Brents on the field at that time, that they didn't get the timeout call. But I digress. Everything worked out. 
Jacob Parrish, we talked about him on the live show afterwards, but you brought his name up, D.Y. One of the things that really impressed me, like he, he doesn't look like the biggest guy in the world, but like I watched them. They, they, uh, they adjusted on one play specifically. I just watched like they signaled to each other, Brents and him, that they were going to go up, move up and play bump and run. And I watched Jacob Parrish physically get up in that receiver, a much bigger dude for TCU. And he was right there with him playing physical. And, and I, I wonder like his arm length, like I, I saw the play where he batted a ball down, like his arms look like, he looks like he has pretty good wingspan. He's obviously got great speed. Um, his wingspan is good for his height, but it's still not exceptional. And that's where he will have his problems when they do occur because he's he's going to be a sticky corner that is good but he is limited and it's julius brents can get away a little bit right um you can get, if you're six foot three with like a six five wingspan you can get beat by three steps and still make the play um see that mark that's why length is so important um because it gives you that margin for error jacob parish will never have that he's going to have to be an extremely sticky corner so that makes life tougher on him because if he's not in someone's grill, because you're talking about him getting up in someone's grill, that's his only way to succeed. But he can do it, so that's a good thing. Yeah, well, can you can you believe DY that they they held TCU to their their second lowest points per drive of the season and Max Duggan's worst passer rating and completion percentage of the entire season, playing so many freshmen, so many guys like that. I mean, Keenan Garber obviously isn't a freshman, but he's a new body out there. Jake Clifton was in on the goal line play on the fourth and goal. Uh, I always butchered Damien's name, so I always Eli, rely Eli on Leo, Damien Eli, Eli Leo. Leo. Yeah, I got to get that nailed down uh, because he's a redshirt freshman and, and going to be a good player. And obviously, BJ Payne, you mentioned, played every snap um, of that game. Well, Jacob Parrish, a true freshman. One. Yeah. I mean, it's just there, there were so many Keenan new Garber, guys out there. Yeah. 21, 21 snaps. Okay. That's a that's a pretty good volume of snaps uh, yeah. for entering the game and around the second quarter. So, man, they, they just they played so many younger guys too. It just it just makes it look like they they, they built quality depth. Like I, you've talked about it before. Like the thing that's different for K State's program is they typically don't have that too deep of some of the other you know schools, right? Dy that the, a lot of these other Power Five schools have more of a too deep because of their recruiting nature. But it seems like K State is starting to develop that depth because they've they had a lot of guys out there that uh, were backups that were playing meaningful snaps. I would agree. I can't say it. No, and I think you were saying, would you expect them to, to hold TC? No. I mean, I picked a 41-38 game. So. Did, uh, did Mitch – was Mitch pounding his chest up there? He picked it 31-28 with a Zittner walk-off field goal. He picked 31-30, but he had Zittner walk-off field goal. Yep. Yeah, on Power Cat game day. Uh that's the first thing I thought of when Zentner made it. I was like, wow, Mitch nailed that call. He did. Shout out shout out to Mitch on that. And it worked out about his, you know, I mean, in retrospect, I was kind of like, you know, it would have been nice to not have the muff punt and to win that game by a couple scores because it really, really felt like without the muff punt, K-State was en route to winning by 10, 14, maybe, something At like least. that. Least um, had all the momentum in the world. Offense was moving the ball. I mean, so luckily we're not talking too much about that play because it, it was a huge momentum swing. But well, I, I just thought in terms of the, like experience, overall game experience to, to get the game-winning field goal the way that it did and all that. I mean, I don't know, Cole, if I would trade it here on the the opposite no, side no. of it, especially because it helped K TCU uh, stay number three in the playoff bowl. And they traded it right. That was a disaster swing for K State. You just went up twenty-one to ten. You 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 forced that. 
three and out, I think it was, or whatever. And then Phil Brooks muffs the punt, and they score and make it 21-17. And then I think K-State went three and out or had to punt. And then TCU was going down, take the lead, 24-21. So, that, I mean, this was not just a 14-point swing. This was looking like it was going to be a 21-point swing, right? And then Max Duggan, hell of a game, but made his only mistake because he had man coverage, Julius Prince um, throwing it. They were already in the red zone. And he just underthrew that ball by about 10 feet and gave yeah. Julius Prince the easiest interception of his career, which he had the second easiest interception of his career a little bit later in the game. He dropped it. I was going to, so there was a couple things I was going to hit on. Um, we talked about the Brooks Muff pun on the live post game show, but we didn't really talk about the Brent's dropped interception, which was a huge play in itself because that also could have essentially ended the game. There were yeah. 10 minutes left. K State was up 11. Brent drops, yeah. yeah Brent drops what what should have been his easiest interception uh, next to the other one. I mean, he breaks off and on the rewatch, you'll see this. But he he and those of you watching on TV live, you saw it. But he was covering another guy on a post route and saw the throw and veered off and was right there to make the interception. If he makes that, I mean, Casey has got the ball up eleven with ten minutes left, a couple first downs, and TCU's in real trouble. So that that play hurt as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would say, John, I, I wouldn't trade, uh, the way that that game ended. Now it may have shed a year or two off my life, um, at the end of the day, but the way that it unfolded is going to make it all the more, all the more memorable. I mean, you still hear people talk about the Miami goal line stand in a non-com game. People are going to be talking about this goal line stand by this K-State defense forever. It's going to live in the memories of K-State fans, walk off field goal overtime. Uh, it's probably, I'm sure the TV ratings, as we talked about on the live show, probably went through the roof, uh, near the end of that game. A lot of people probably tuning in, it makes it all the more, more memorable and all the more special to have a walk-off, uh, winner in that moment. So, yeah. Yeah. have not, uh, have not been able to complete the entire rewatch of that to relive it again, but I'm going to need to, because the overtime of the, the goal line stand, I really maybe I said this in the immediate post game, but I just was checked out pretty dejected. I had made up in my mind, like the only way they're winning this game is by scoring and going for two. So I wasn't even really paying that close of attention. Like the fourth down stop, I was kind of just like, like stop and gather myself and look around. I was like, you guys, like now we can basically win this thing, right? Like how did this happen? Uh, I just took, it took a minute for all that to settle into me, but awesome moment at the end. I love the, the Twitter thread where I asked everybody to submit their, their videos of reactions to the Zender field goal was awesome. Uh, just a great thread full of stuff. I, I gotta give a shout out to kites, man. The kites video was crazy. That was probably my favorite one. Like kites reacting to the win was, was insane. Uh, great work to the, the folks that were there. Uh, very much appreciate that. Where do we think this win stands all time for K-State? Want to have that discussion? We can we can take a break beforehand. I'll give you, you know, in, in real terms here, you're only going to get about 10 seconds to think about it. But let's pretend like you're going to have an actual break here to think about this answer and then come back with the answer. That's next. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. 
It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we're back. John Cole, D.Y. Where does this win rank all time for K-State, Cole? I think we... We decided 98 Nebraska, 2003 Oklahoma stand in front of it. But then beyond that, it's pretty open for debate. Yeah, uh, we talked about this on the the drive home from Arlington yesterday for a little bit. And I saw a bunch of people tweeting about it, too, where it ultimately stands. I think 98 Nebraska, definitely an 03 Oklahoma stand in front of it just because of the significance of the Oklahoma game and, and the Nebraska game. But Oklahoma was regarded by so many pundits as the best team ever going into that game. And so, and it was, it was K-State's first big 12 championship. So, and the dominant nature, that one's got to stand above this one as well as 98 Nebraska, when you consider what Nebraska had done to Kansas state for 30 plus years. So those two are in front. Now I think where you could make the argument, I haven't seen a lot of people mention this game, but the the 97 Fiesta bowl is right there for me uh, with this one. Because it was, I have this one ahead of Texas and Manhattan in 2012. You know, that Texas team yeah, was what oh, yeah. finished. Yeah, I, I saw people trying to include the Texas game. Look, at, yeah, it clinched the Big 12 title. It was on your home field. That that was special. But Texas was ranked like 24th in the country. They ended up being an eight and four football team, I believe. Uh, you fully expected to win that game. You you beat a top five team in the country on a neutral field in that environment um, in overtime. And it's the first of the Chris Kleiman era. I, I that one's got to stand. And plus, it, the disappointing nature of the way the Texas game—you know, just losing to Baylor two weeks before that, and the national title hopes being dashed—this um, one proves that Chris Kleiman. I mean, look, we already knew Chris Kleiman by now was the right hire. Uh, this just cements that that uh, Gene Taylor made a hell of a hire, um, the best hire that season by any athletic director, and one of the best that you've seen in the last few years by a program. So, yeah, I, I think I would have it right there with the 97 Fiesta Bowl. Maybe I give it the slight edge, but that Fiesta Bowl game, beating Donovan McNabb, winning in the fashion they did on New Year's Eve, a massive party, K-State's first Alliance Bowl victory. Tim Brando on the call. Tim Brando on the call with with Ed Cunningham. Uh, It it kind of jolted the program up when we talked about this to that 98 season where K-State was a national title contender and kind of, you know, the program soared from there. So, I would have it right there with that one, top top three or four. Ty, I know you're not the the historian. Do you have any, you have any any opinion <laughs> that you want to offer here? I, I think I I'm living in the moment, like recency bias, so I'm giving it a slight bump as three, just ahead of '97 Fiesta Bowl because you're bringing back a, a conference championship. Mainly is is why I'm doing that, and a new era establishing someone else can win a Big Twelve championship here. I think all those things are are very important, but I fully admit that I, you know, I mean, I was eight when the 97 Fiesta Bowl happened. I loved it. I remember it. I still have a sweatshirt from it, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give the slight edge here. I would, I would say number three. Uh, and I think you could make an argument. I mean, top five also, I would probably include Oh three Nebraska on the road just because yeah. first, first win in Lincoln. So I, I, I think um, the discussion that I've seen too, that'll be, that will be interesting. Let's hypothetically say Kansas state beats Alabama in the sugar bowl. Does it become the most, the best season in Kansas state history? Yeah. Well, and, and the key distinction there is saying best season versus best team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, best team is a, is a totally different discussion because 98 is going to run away with that, but the, their season ended in such 
I mean, the thud does not even begin to describe how the 98 season ended. We probably shouldn't talk about 98 too much. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, so then, like, then you are talking 97 where you're 11 and one, um, broke through and beat Colorado that year for the first time in forever when that was still a streak. Um, beat Syracuse in the Fiesta Bowl, kind of announced yourself on the national scene, finished in the top 10. Uh, there was there was a lot of good that happened there. 95, they finished number seven in the country, which I think was tied for the highest. I think 2002, they also got up to about that because they won bowl games in both of those seasons. 2002, they beat USC. They beat Carson Palmer. That was fun um, in the non-con. So, I, you know, I mean, I think these are your contenders if you're talking about best season. But it'd be real, real hard to argue against this one in terms of the accomplishments that this team would have would have put together by the yeah. time all said this does 12 get eliminated too because of the way that finished i would say so yes so it's like yeah. 98 yeah 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 uh so if they beat alabama <clears throat> i think we looked it up john the best finish they've had in the rankings was seventh and 95 is that right what you confirmed i think it, i think they've twice been seventh uh okay i think it was o2 was the other one i was looking at where they did also finish seventh well, I know they don't. You, you reminded me they don't do a final playoff poll after the uh, the bowl games, but uh, yeah, and I'd have to look at what what what's K State in the coaches poll. I don't even know if they came out a coaches poll this week. I only saw the AP where they were eleven. Well, a bunch of those AP writers, a bunch of hacks voting that poll because that's a that poll is a joke. Cole, I actually Cole, we've been incorrect. They finished. I just pulled up the year by year. They finished sixth in nineteen ninety nine. So okay. 99, they were 11 and one. It was kind of a, I, I, this sounds crazy, but this is how it felt at the time for sure. Cause the program was so good. Kind of a boring 11 and one. Well, that, that was the year that K-State relied on several big time come from behind victories against teams that weren't very good. Remember the Iowa state game in Ames and the Oklahoma state game in Stillwater where K-State fell behind by three scores. Jonathan Beasley, you know, got replaced by Adam Helm in the Iowa state game. They uh, they struggled at various times that year, and they, they got beaten down by Nebraska pretty handily in Lincoln. And I, I think a large part of why that, that felt a little bit disappointing, John, is because it was on the heels of 1998, and there yeah. was still that lingering disappointment that maybe not as great of an appreciation from me for that season, but it was still a heck of a year. It also sucked that they had to play in the Holiday Bowl against an unranked Washington when they're a top-10 team, and yeah. You know, the K-State always got stuck playing teams in bowl games when they were far and away the a top 10 team playing a team that was maybe ranked 25th or not even ranked. And th that always took a little bit of the buzz out of it, like Arizona State in the Holiday Bowl, Purdue, obviously, Washington, et cetera. I digress. But, yeah, I, I, if you beat Alabama, uh, Clemson plays Tennessee, so one of those teams is going to lose ahead of you in the poll. You beat Alabama, Coaches. you're going to – Jed, oh, our producer, said coaches poll has K State number nine. Okay, yeah. Well, I've always respected the coaches poll and not the AP poll. So, uh, oh, the AP poll sucks. There was a guy, there was a dude that had K State at 15 and UCLA at 11 this week. Yeah. It's back yeah. 12 teams ahead of K State. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> yeah. yeah. So that's um, what you're kind of dealing with there. I will say, and you guys are better than, at this than me, of course. So that's why I kind of, threw the question out to you two more than opened on my own. The three losses, though, is that it has to come into play, though, right? When we're talking about best season, I mean, it's hard to say. It's still hard to say this one with three losses. One of them being a group of five school. 
Uh, yeah, well, it's a group of five school that's playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, though. I mean, it's uh, it that that takes and, a little bit of the pain out of it. school that's only a two and a half point dog to USC. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I don't know. Is Caleb, well, what's Caleb Williams' stats? Well, that's, but, well the, the, the details, John. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I was a little disappointed. K State was ninth in the playoff poll. I, I honestly thought they'd go up to like eighth or seventh. But got, uh, got jumped by Utah, which is interesting because they beat a. I mean, K State beat number three, and Utah beat number four. Yeah, I mean that's I'm sure going to be about the. Uh, amount of points they beat them by i would also say i mean caleb williams was hurt uh so that <laughs> that helped but uh, but they did beat him up so i i don't know whatever i'm not gonna lose a ton of sleep over it when where you would where you would have lost a ton of sleep over it is if this were the 12 team playoff era that would have been the difference between having a bye in the first round of the playoff having a home game after that avoiding georgia or Utah jumps you. You're no longer one of the top four conference champions. You're you're in an eight, nine game on the road at Tennessee with the winner going to play at Georgia or Georgia in a neutral site. So it, it would have sent you from a bye and a home game to a road game. And then Georgia, if you happen to get through it, it ridiculously big swing there. If this was a (laughs) team playoff. Yeah, no, it was funny because someone asked Chris Kleiman on that Sugar Bowl webinars like, oh, if there was a new playoff and you would be in, at a home game in a first round, how cool is that? And Chris Kleiman just basically said, I don't really talk about hypotheticals. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he literally just dismissed the guy completely. It was the last question. But, it, I mean, that is interesting, right? I mean, I like the – generally, I do like the format of what they're doing with the 12-team playoff. And for people that hate the expansion, I just – whatever. I don't really think – your opinion matters at that point, but so, but uh, it's interesting. I do think there might be a, a chink in the new playoff format on her uh, format if that's what happens, right? You you you're one step away from a buy and a home game while winning your league, but just because you get jumped by the Pac-12 champion, now you don't even get a home game, and you got to play in the first round at Neyland Stadium against Tennessee. Uh, maybe maybe it doesn't matter. It, in this hypothetical world, because man, maybe you like your chances against Tennessee without Hennon Hooker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I wouldn't have minded playing Tennessee with Joe Milton at quarterback, to be honest. But uh, oh well, getting getting Alabama, and I would say, you know, I also just looking back as we talked about most impactful games or uh, most meaningful games where this ranks. It is pretty cool to think that K State beat an undefeated number one ranked OU in the Big Twelve Championship, and then beat a twelve and O TCU in the Big Twelve Championship. I mean, two unbeaten's that were top four teams in the country um, to win both those those occasions. It's it's pretty darn special. So did I uh, did I see it right that Chris Kleiman's five and two against top ten teams at Kansas State? That is correct. I was going to say because he Oklahoma wins, uh, he beat them three times, and then. Oklahoma State and and now TCU. So, and what was it like last year? What was the the concern was last year? They didn't really beat they didn't beat anybody good last year, really, right? Well, um, last year was the Snyder 2.0 special. Yeah, it was like beat everybody below you in the standings, lose everybody above you in the standings. Yeah, and this year they they took the next step and they they beat teams not only that were good, but they they beat teams that Chris Kleiman hadn't beaten before, like Baylor and Oklahoma State. So he got the monkey off his back with that and. 
now they beat every Big 12 team this season outside of uh, Texas because they got the revenge game against TCU. And, you know, I, I did want to mention a, a number we talked about after the game in that TCU game, something I thought was impactful. TCU 2 of 15 on third downs. Uh, DY, <clears throat> what was uh, – and I, I thought this was what occurred, but on the live show afterwards I couldn't recall exactly – uh, TCU got their two third down conversions on the first drive of the game. They yeah, went 0 of 12. Yeah, they went 0 of 12 on third downs the rest of the game. And that's a TCU team that went 10 of 19 against K-State in the previous matchup on third downs. So that was that was huge. Another crazy Chris Kleiman stat that I saw and I went back and, and it's <clears throat> it's absolutely correct. And it's pretty astonishing considering that he's probably played many power five teams just once from his time at North Dakota State, right? He has beaten every Power Five team that he has played, except for Texas. Yeah, I was about to step in with that. Like, well, he hasn't beaten Texas. We know that, but except for Texas, but every Power Type Five team he has played in his coaching career, he has beaten. Got one over on Texas this year, but did didn't actually beat them head to head. That is correct. Uh, let, let me close with this big recruiting time here. I know the coaches immediately were off recruiting on, uh, on Sunday after winning the big 12 championship on Saturday. So what, uh, what should we expect when is signing day a week from Tuesday or two weeks from Tuesday? What do we got here? It's two weeks. It's December 21st. I think it's Wednesday, right? The 21st. Okay. So that would be two weeks from Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, so biggest storylines to, to be watching here over the next couple of weeks for uh, for K-State on the recruiting trail. Slash, uh, have you seen, I know you know, Drew gauging the uh, responses of, of different recruits across the country to K-State's Big 12 championship game win. If you have anything uh, exciting to share on that front, I'm all ears as well. I don't know if anything is too powerful there. I think that before December 21st, you're going to see, well, how about this? On that day, I think you're going to see between now and then, Kansas they probably add additional linebacker help, probably additional receiver help potentially, and probably high school guys. We're thinking there, maybe JUCO. Um, we're we're thinking there, and it'll be interesting the transfer portal, especially obviously, right? And in, in this month of December, um, and probably part of January as well, because you're going to see. Kansas State dipped her toes into those waters probably pretty significantly as well. And just to see how many that they can accrue in that time period and who it is, right? It'll be interesting in, in what positions um, because there is a large swath of these guys that are going to be entering the transfer portal between now and when that thing closes, which I don't think it's till January 15th in, in that neighborhood, the second week of January, uh, maybe the 13th. Um, because they're going to probably want to be enrolled for spring semester, a large swath of them, right, to be able to participate in spring football. You know, Kansas State, really, the, the, the ones you got after the spring period didn't necessarily help you a ton, um, if you want to look at it that way. So um, this period will be pretty important. It's going to be a sprint. It's going, going to be hard to cover, too, for me. But, uh, I look, they're, they're going to have to address wide receiver in the transfer portal in some way, I think. Um, and a, and a name that really pops out, I think, that everyone is aware of probably at this point, if you keep a close eye on it, is Arlen Bruce, the wide receiver at Iowa. Um, I imagine since the portal opened, I know he had already stated his intentions to enter it. I imagine he's in it now. He's already submitted his name. That would be my guess. And if that's the true, then 
communication is now permitted, direct communication. And it would surprise me if the two sides weren't engaged. And if and if Kansas State decides that they want to pull the trigger and take him, I don't think there will be a lot of resistance there. I think he is theirs as long as they want him. I'm not saying they don't. I just I don't know that for 100% fact. And, and that makes a lot of sense in many ways. As most know, he's an Elite North product. What, did, what does he bring to the table as a receiver? I honestly have no idea. I've not watched. Uh, it's shocking. I've not watched a lot of the Iowa offense. Well, he played as a true freshman at Iowa, and that doesn't happen a whole lot. So probably tells you maybe his acumen there in that department. He was a running back in high school. Um, a little smaller, a little, little on the smaller side. Maybe he's a perfect replacement for Phillip Brooks. I don't, I don't know if he's really the, the quintessential slot receiver. So I couldn't tell you all of that. Um, he was he was tough as nails in high school. I know that, and he had more receptions at Iowa, I believe. I think I'm looking at the right guy here and think about the right guy. He had more receptions at Iowa this past season than Charlie Jones had at Iowa before he went for like 130 catches at Purdue. So yeah. I just people are like, oh, we don't want anyone associated with his Iowa offense. But on the surface, I totally understand that notion and and that approach, but. If you want to take this into account, I think 20 catches at Iowa is like 150 in most places. Yeah. Well, Iowa's problem hasn't been wide receiver talent necessarily. It's been the quarterback room. I mean, they've had good receivers there over yeah. the years. Their uh, other one, Keegan Johnson, that's in the portal. Wouldn't shock me if he ends up at Nebraska. So, yeah. Uh, the transfer portal deadline, I just looked it up to confirm December 5th uh, window to January 18th. So, have to enter by January 18th, 45 day window to enter yeah. the portal. And so, for those trying to educate, because I know this is the first time in the transfer portal, that's to enter. You could you could actually make your choice whenever. Yep. Yeah. Um, I saw Josh Manning was uh, at Top Golf with Eli Drinkowitz uh, photo posted on Twitter. So, I'm sure Drinkowitz was smoking another cigar. With six them. and six and six cigars, ducking Ku. Drinkowitz probably a uh, Drinkowitz probably pulled the driver out, hit it twenty yards, and lit up a cigar to celebrate because that's uh, you know <laughs> who he is. So. Just can't believe. I mean, like, sweet, we get to see Missouri and Wake Forest, uh, something the world has been dying to know whether or not the Tigers could match up with the Demon Deacons this year. Gasparillable. Uh, is that, a, is that in the Tampa Bay Rays, Tampa Rays Stadium, P.Y.? No, Buc I still think it's Buccaneers, right? Oh, it's the Buccaneers. Okay. They they used to play one bowl game in the, the Rays Stadium. I was really hoping that's where Missouri was destined. Uh, it's probably not suitable for football anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if they really – I mean, I don't know if anyone's allowed to play in the trop. I mean, <laughs> they might as well, like, condemn that thing. Yeah. But it would be yeah, fitting. It would be yeah. fitting to drink with Slap Cigar and go play in the trop. Right. Yeah. Um. Hey, by the way, guys, I was just looking at, at K-State's numbers uh, earlier today. Did you know that they have now passed for 2,737 yards this season and rushed for 2,725? They're 50-50. No. Balance. So, yeah. Talk about balance. So I decided, yeah, I thought I'd throw that out. That's pretty crazy. The, ba the balance is like two sides of the season, right, where they're one of the yes. most explosive rushing offenses in the first half, one of the most explosive passing offenses in the second half. That was one of the funny – I made it through like a quarter and a half, I guess, of the rewatch of the, the game. And that was one of the funny things to me that I kept hearing him explain. They're like, yeah, I mean, we, I know you think Bill Snyder and, you know, there still are some elements of that. But, like, they do – I was like, thank you, Herb Street. Herb Street finally was like, they they do have firepower. Like, don't get it wrong. They have firepower. I was like, guys, yeah, like that's 
the, the team with Will Howard has a ton of firepower. It's just yes. getting over what it actually looks like. The jerseys and everything, everybody's just used to that being the, the ball control Snyder stuff. And the head coach, Chris Kleeman, we had, we had that at the beginning and the end yeah. of the broadcast for Chris Baller. Um, when Ben Sinnott scored his touchdown, we also had, you know, the under underused Ben Sinnott. I was like, okay, guys. Uh, Justin Moore also made some nice plays for K-State. Herb Street kept talking about Justin Moore for the Wildcats uh, on that strip fumble, fumble yeah. that uh, somehow I, I, I don't know. How <laughs> it's tough to get good announcers these days. Kurtz, yeah. maybe you need to get back in it. Somebody like call me. I mean, hit me up on Twitter at JL Kurtz. Uh, slide in the DMs. I would. I'd love to, man. I tried. I tried and tried and tried with that TV game. It's hard to get. It's hard to get the opportunities. You know, you got the Tim Brandos of the world uh, taking them up. I guess they they were better than Brando, but yeah, a little disappointed there with with some of that. There were some things where I was like, all right, that was pretty well prepped. Like when Johnston caught the the first go ball down the field on the first drive from Duggan, he was like, oh, it's just like in Fort Worth uh johnston beating brents and i was like okay at least we know we know fowler watched that um and he got rj garcia he knew who rj garcia was pretty much right away which i would not have really blamed him if he didn't because the guy had five catches on the year before that before making an incredible catch for a touchdown which you know he's another unsung hero for that for stepping up and making that play so did he uh did he know keenan garber i haven't made it that far i don't i don't recall them really uh they probably didn't know it was his number. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Know. I don't yeah, I. I don't They're think they. Like, Who the hell is number thirty-five? Yeah, I don't recall them hitting on hitting on that. Look, they probably prepped prep Fowler on R.J. Garcia when they found out Knowles was hurt, and at one of the commercial breaks said, "Look, this is the guy that's going to play more." So <clears throat> probably got equipped and ready to go with that one. So uh, yeah, R.J. Garcia had a a big moment and a, a gutsy throw by Will Howard. Indeed, it was. It was good stuff all the way around. We'll keep you up to date on obviously the basketball season, what's going on with recruiting, because I don't think things are really going to slow down much here in the next couple of weeks with all of that going on. Basketball did get another win. They have a tricky one coming up with Nebraska uh, here pretty soon too. Looking at the Cornhuskers beating uh, beating Omaha, which is a, a very nice win. So. Or excuse me, beating Creighton. <laughs> I, I thought I thought Creighton. you were just like take throwing shade at Creighton, just gonna call him Omaha. Like no, like, no, 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 no. Home. I've got no, I have no issues with Creighton. No issues with is is McDermott still the coach there? <laughs> yes. Okay, I've got no issues with McDermott. Uh, Creighton's a really good team. I mean, that's a that's a top I, I thought, ten team. A minute there, I was like, I thought that was your way of disrespecting. Creighton. I think yeah, I thought you were trying to get. No, 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 no shot. Universe, I was just thinking like in my head, like oh, Creighton's in Omaha. I get you know. Can I say that the game was in Omaha at least, or was it in, was it in Lincoln? It was in Creighton. It was at Creighton. It was on Creighton's home floor, right. which was even more shocking to me. And now Nebraska. Well, that's, what that's what I meant to say. Yeah. It was, you know, they won in Omaha. Nebraska is 78th in Ken Palm now, guys. Um, really which Wichita State. Well, they were like a hundredth, I think, going okay. into that game. So that was a pretty big jump for them. Wichita State's 87th. Um, so K State is uh, fifty nine, and okay. LSU is sixty. LSU would be K State's best win right now. That would be a quad two win. Uh, Nebraska, I will have to double check. I'm not sure if it counts as a K State home game and T Mobile because if it's a if it's a home game, that would be a quad three win, I believe. Right now, where they sit, well, the net rankings aren't out yet, so we can't actually say that with certainty. But 
um, if you're ranked in the top 75 of the net, it'd be a, a quad two if it's a home game. If it's a neutral site game, they'd be a quad two where they sit currently. So is is uh, Butler uh, is Butler a quad one loss? Uh, it's gonna be a quad two, John. They're uh, eighty. Well, again, the net rankings haven't came out, which is what that's based on. But it, it, Ken Palm is usually somewhat close to that, and, and Butler right now is eighty sixth in Ken Palm. So it's gonna be, okay. it's not gonna be a horrible loss, but it'll probably be a, a quad two loss. Yeah. All right. Worst things have happened. Worst things have happened. Looked like a good crowd against Wichita State, and happy the Cats got the dub yeah. there. Okay, appreciate the work of Jed Marshall behind the scenes, as always. Same with uh, Tucker Franklin and all, all the work that he did for us over the past week, getting us on the air for the live show on Friday night in Arlington. That'll do it for us here at 3 Ma. Check out 360 Vodka, Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon from Holiday Distillery. Drink up, enjoy the Big 12 Championship, and we will talk to you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.